Hey, I'm Matthew Ma, host of the Truth About Real Estate podcast. And today we're talking with Ed Bryan of SRA 831B Admin. Ed has more than 20 years of sales and operations management experience. As Director of Business Development, Ed leads the SRA team in partnering with clients and valued advisors to provide next-level strategies to business owners. He has been featured speaker at numerous well-known national conventions, industry events, in insurance, finance, and long-term planning. Excited to talk with you, Ed. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, Matthew. I look forward to it. Cool. Yeah, I'm really excited. I want to learn more about 831B. I'm sure our audience has a lot of questions. Uh, let's get started with this. What is 831B anyways, and how does that work yeah. to protect your business? Sure. Let's 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 dive into it. So <clears throat> a lot of people don't know what 831B is, right? Um, 831B is actually just a portion of the tax code. A lot of people have heard about 401ks, right? Most everyone knows what a 401k is. Um, not, but And 401k is just a piece of the tax code, right? A section of the tax code. 831B is a section of the tax code that was put into place in the mid-1980s, right? And it allows businesses to essentially self-insure for risks that they can't get coverage for on the open market. Um, it's little known because like anything, when the 401k first came out in the 70s, big business got a hold of it, right? Um, and they used it, big enterprise level businesses started to use the 401k. And then a CPA read the tax code and said, hey, wait, anybody can do a 401k. And now we're here we are, we are today where anyone can have a 401k. Um, 831B kind of has followed a similar trajectory. Big businesses used it. Um, you know, any of the Fortune 500s, Fortune 1000s, they've been using these types of tools for almost 40 years. It just in the last eight to 10 years, we've seen it really gravitate to the small to mid-sized business owner. So uh, that's really all it is. It's a piece of the tax code. Um, it's a little known, but uh, you know we're on a mission to get it out there. Nice. I'm glad to hear that too. It's always good to learn as you know, everyone knows the tax code is so complex, so much reading. No one's going to really want to read it except for people who are like really into it. Right. So like, how does the 831B help you? And like, you know, how does that, like, you're saying you can self-insure? Yeah. So let's talk about that, right? So um, let's let's just look at like the last couple of years, right? Since 2020, we've seen that that a lot of business owners out there, and it's cross industry, right? It doesn't matter what the industry is. Um, a lot of business owners thought that they had, say, for example, business interruption insurance, right, with the traditional insurance carrier. And then, you know, when the shutdown started to happen, right, when cities and states and counties started to say, hey, you're, you know, your business is not essential, um, and you know, you're suspended from operating. A lot of those business owners went and filed claims, right, with the traditional insurers. And those traditional insurance carriers said, well, hold on. Um, you know, if you haven't had a fire, a flood, an earthquake, some kind of triggering event, right, that's the insurance term, um, then your business interruption policy doesn't actually cover you, right? And so what, what a lot of businesses have found, have found out is that their traditional insurance has holes or there are gaps in it, right? So that's where an 831B comes into place. We fill in the gaps in traditional insurance and or extend coverage where there isn't any, right? So for example, we offer a contingent business interruption policy or 831B would allow you to set up like a third party business interruption policy that says that for any reason that your business is shut down, you can make a claim against that policy, right? So it's just one of those things where it's an additional layer or a next level risk mitigation strategy. And that's really what an 831B offers you. Okay, that's a really good answer and uh, a really good way to explain it for us uh, who don't know about it. Because, for example, okay, yeah, I think most people don't understand that, hey, I have insurance, but I really don't know all the details of insurance. And until something happens, they don't really understand about it. Exactly. And it's like, why didn't they tell me about that? Well, did we ask? No, because we don't know what to ask and we don't know how it works. We can ask you in detail, but you probably, as insurance agents in general, can't explain everything anyways. 
on all the finite details of insurance policies and every single way it can cover or not. So that's the complexity exactly. of it. But it's good to know that there's an alternative way from just general insurance for businesses that 831B can cover could possibly cover everything else that's not there as a secondary mitigation to the primary um, business insurance for fire, floods, exactly. hazards, uh, theft, vandalism. So you guys are there too in case like, okay, COVID happens and then exactly. y- your business is shut down. Oh, I didn't know my, my, my primary insurance wouldn't help me. Okay, then what do you do? You're stuck now. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. That's exactly. So So 831Bs help you insure for those those rainy days that you can't predict, right? I mean, who would have ever predicted COVID, right? I mean, you know, I love to, to, to talk to people. I talk to people all over the country and I always say, hey, if, if in 2019, I would have told you, hey, the world's going to shut down for basically two years with a global okay. pandemic, you, yeah, you would have said I was crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but who could have predicted that, right? And so because of that, that's what an 830B, 831B allows a business owner to do is set aside money for that rainy day that, to be honest with you, we can't even see coming. But it's, you know, when times are good, business is good, let's set some money aside, um, you know, and then if that rainy day never comes, then that's great. But if it does come, then you have those funds available to address those risks where your traditional insurance either can't or won't cover. Okay, and let's take a look at that. So like in general, for in general, people think about, okay, insurance is like, for example, it's needed. Everyone knows you need insurance, but how much do I really need? And am I ever going to really use it? And aren't the insurance money, insurance companies just going to make a lot of money off me anyways, because I'm never going to use it. They know the claim percentage is really low, but of course something happens, then it's too late. Right. So like then, oh, I have primary insurance. Do I really need another insurance provider? And I need to pay two different bills now. But, you know, in business, is a business expense, is a business investment case. And there's always something that happens in life. No one can predict. So it's an additional layer of security. Yeah. And let's talk about that. So to your point, you you know, you hit something right on the head. You said when you pay insurance premiums, they go to the insurance carrier. Um, They, you don't get those money back, right? You don't, you don't get those funds back from the, the insurance carrier. They become profit to them. With an 831B, here's the beauty of it. You own it, right? As the business owner, you actually own this 831B. It's a C corporation. And the beautiful thing is, is when you pay premiums into it, you pay it from your business into your 831B. Well, you own the 831B, right? So the beauty is that if you if, if you have a really good underwriting year, low claims rates, right? Whatever's left in there, plus investment gains, um, are yours at the end of the year to do with as you see fit, right? So it's yours, right? Those, those underwriting profits or surplus profits from that insurance company, that 831B plan are yours. So it kind of flips that power dynamic, if you will, for business owners to say, hey, okay, I'm setting aside money for these other risks. But if I don't have any of those things happen in a given year, then those funds are mine and I can I can loan against them. I can dividend those funds out. I can leave them there and allow them to continue to grow. So really, it's a way for you to participate in the profits of traditional insurance by setting aside a little bit for some of the risks that you can't get coverage for on the open market. Hmm. So that kind of reminds me of that's kind of like a whole life insurance policy. From what I understand, it's similar has really similarities to it. Where you're you're investing in whole life insurance, they take a they take a good chunk of your money in the beginning for the first years of things, but in the later years, you have a set aside of money in there. Like you mentioned, you can take it out as dividends, you can take it out as a loan, reinvest it, and then pay back back to yourself. And yeah, so there's there and and it, you're not 
that that's you're kind of going down the right path, right? So a lot of people that we talk to in the finance space, especially that are in life insurance, talk about and say, "Hey, this looks a lot like whole life," right? Yeah. So to your point, it's 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 in that realm. Obviously, everything has its nuances and its differences, but yes, there are a lot of benefits there that you can start to see, right, as a business owner. Because one of the big things too that I haven't touched on is that when you pay premiums, when your business pays premiums into your eight thirty one b. Um, it's an expense to your business, right? No different than paying traditional insurance. So you're able to write those funds off or yes. deduct those funds off of your taxable income on the front end by putting those funds in or those premiums into your 831B. That 831B does not pick those funds up as taxable income, right? right. So that's, yeah, so those premiums are never taxed, right? So there's some there, there's some beauty there of taking money off the front, putting it into this, self-insuring for those risks, not paying taxes on those premiums, right? And then having access to those funds as policies expire each year. Nice. And that's a good point too. I see different variations in like real estate, whole life insurance and A31B and how business owners are utilizing all three different avenues as a way to diversify. So, you know, it makes sense in a sense like, okay, whole life insurance policies, A31Bs. In the business side of things, you know, when you, when you talk to your CPA, of course, in the business side of things, you have income expenses. So you're telling me, for example, if I'm able to use my corporation and use this income I made from sales, whatever, and I put my money into 831B, it's not taxed yet because it's passed as an expense item for paying insurance. But the benefit of paying the insurance is that in this company that the corporation, I'm paying this insurance, it goes there. But in that that money is actually sitting in my account helping me for any secondary emergencies, things like that. But at the same time, it's also investing period in there too, where it's growing and not. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, to your point, so, so that money can be managed, right? We, we would hope that, that, you know, and, and our clients that own 831Bs with us, um, they have those funds managed, right? Um, We have an investment agreement, but you know, it's like any insurance company when premiums come in, they put it to work, right? Um, They they put those funds to work. um, They put them into stocks, bonds, mutual funds, those types of things, right? We'd hope that money would make money. Right. Um, and it's just if you think about really the litmus test when you look at 831B is, you know, what would a traditional insurance carrier do and how would that transaction look? And 831B really mirrors that. Right. But the big the big difference is, right, that the business owner gets to take the deduction up front, right, the expense off the front end. And then they own that 831B. And so they get to enjoy some of those same benefits that big insurance companies have done traditionally for decades and decades. Yeah. And I see some like, for example, doctors, dentists, lawyers, they put a lot of money into these things, like policies in different forms alongside real estate as well. So they're really trying to limit their income and really drastically reduce it all the way down to almost zero to uh, zero taxation. And by doing that, they're still having the benefit. Like for example, whole life, they have the death benefit in case something happens, the money's still there, but they have the death benefit for you. You have casualty benefits in case something happens to your business. And then on the flip side of it, you still have the money sitting there being invested and managed. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. So, so obviously while the policies are in force, you have coverage, right. Going on. And in each year that a policy expires, think about traditional insurance, right? Usually policies are a year long. 831B policies are no different, right? You're going to have a year-long policy. You'll pay the premiums in. You know, we hope you have good year after good year, right? But if you have an incident happen during that year, you have those funds. But as that as that account grows, right, you're going to build up this rainy day fund, right, in there. And those those funds will be able, available for loans, dividends, long-term planning, those types of things. So, okay. yeah, you get a lot of benefits from an 831B. Yeah, and that makes sense, too. And let's talk about this part of it, too. People will want to understand is – how does the premiums work? Like how much are you really paying towards premiums? How much are you really putting into yourself? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So a couple different things, right? We 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 uh, we look at the risks that a client wants to address, right? Um, you know, what are the types of risks, and and we'll consult with them. We have a, a team that has a lot of experience. We've formed hundreds and hundreds of these things over the last twelve years, um, and we've got a great team, right? So we'll look at the risks. We're going to look at your gross revenue, right? Because at the end of the day, an eight thirty one B and the types of policies that exist within an eight thirty one B, at least with our program, are designed to protect the cash flow of the business, right? Um, they're the things that if something happened, you're going to address current, you're going to address that type of an incident out of current cash flow right now, right? With an 831B, you have this pre-tax money that you set aside. As a general rule, and I say general rule, um, we look at about 10% of gross revenue is the maximum amount you could set aside into an 831B on an annual basis. Okay. Um, you know, that's a high level, right? But that helps you I think, you know, okay, if somebody makes you know, if they've got a business that grosses, say, $5 million a year, okay, well, you could set aside up to $500,000 a year into an 831B. We have clients that, that are well under that. We have some clients that set aside maybe 2%, right? Whatever makes sense to the client based on the risks they're trying to address is, is how we approach that, right? But there is a significant benefit there on those premiums, so. Okay. So, yeah, that makes sense. So you can put up to, up to 10% of your gross yeah. revenue into it, and then you're building that over time. And then that's part of it too. And then for the, how much premiums are you paying to the actual company to? So, so that would be, yeah. So in that scenario, let's, let's take, let's just take a really easy scenario. Let's say someone owns a business that grosses $2 million and we tell them, okay, you can set aside up to 200,000, right? Well, you could, you could pay in premium in theory, $200,000 in premium, right? Mm -hmm. So you could actually take that deduction, right? For the two, full $200,000, it will go into your 831B and with our program, for every dollar you put in, you get $2 of coverage, right? Mm -hmm. So you would actually have $400,000 of coverage. And we would break it up over the, the policies or the areas of risk that you're most concerned about, right? So in theory, you know, we look at your gross revenue every year at renewal, right? But you can set aside up to 10% of your gross revenue into premiums each year on an annual basis. Okay. So then let's say in like five years from now, if I put in 200K a year, that's a million dollars in five years. How yeah. much money is mine? How much money is yours? Well, good question. So, you know, you, and you're right. We do charge a fee, right? So, so we retain a, a, yeah, yeah. We, we, we retain a small percentage of premiums, um, anywhere between three and 10% based on premium volumes. As your premium number goes up, the percent we retain goes down. Um, and I would tell you this, the tax code 831B itself allows you to set aside about 2.4 million um, on an annual basis, right? So that's the, that's the tax code itself. We have that internal control mechanism of 10% right? For compliance purposes. Um, but that money, we take our little percentage. And I should say this, every year that we retain a percentage of the premium with the client, um, we also have risk on the books, meaning that if a client has a claim in that year, whatever percentage of their premium we retain, we actually owe back to them if they have a claim, right? So, so those funds don't become profit or underwriting profit to us until policies expire every year. But to your point, outside of that, Every, and then minus any claims, everything that's in that account in five years is the client's, right? I mean, we don't keep feeing each year. We only charge on new premium each year as it comes in. We don't charge on that total account. Um, and then I guess I should mention, we do have a, a, a fixed annual fee. It's $5,000, right? Okay. So, so we do charge $5,000 to set one up. And then each year thereafter to do the tax returns, regulatory filings, those types of things, it's $5,000. So, okay, so but, but 5, yeah, to your point. Okay. So for, if, I, if I only put 200K in on the first year and the next four years, I put $0 in is my, actually my policy will expire, right? Because if I don't yep. keep paying, I have to put 10% like percentage in 2% to 10%. Yeah, if exactly. I don't, so, oh. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. So let's say you put 200,000 in in the first year and then you didn't fund for say three or four more years. That, that, that original investment, right? Those original premiums that you put in are still there, right? But at the end of the year, the policy expires. Those funds become what we call uh, surplus reserves. They're no longer at risk of claims. They can continue to be managed. You can invest them. Um, you can withdraw them via dividend, right? As a qualified dividend, or you can, can take a loan against them. So you have a lot of different options to access those funds each year that policies expire. Okay. So then the thing, as a, as a real estate investor myself, I look at this, I put that money in, and then I know the benefit. There's a couple of things. One is the risk benefit of business ownership. I get that benefit. And I know that's separated. But when I look right. at the just dollar amounts, okay, I put 200K in, the, the policy costs $5,000 to manage, plus maybe a 3 to 10% average fee on top of that structure. What's the total of that dollar amount over time? And right. What's my break-even point to do that to manage it? And how much upside am I really getting with your management? Like in you know, like in real estate, you have all different percentages of real estate and the valuation of it. But I don't have the death benefit. I don't have the business benefit of it. I have other things, other things to consider. Right. So you know, of course, it's great to diversify into multiple things and see which works best. And casualty insurance is always good to have it. It's just a matter of like, as an investor, what do you choose and how do you spread it out in the beginning when you're slowly growing. Later, when you're big, then, of course, you have a lot of different things to cover, right? So, the, okay, that makes sense. And you're, you're going, you're building it out. Okay, now I have my business. I don't have fire, safety, flooding. And now if my business goes down, how would I take a claim against this? Let's talk about yeah. like in the last two years. Okay, I, I, run a, I run a business and I can't operate anymore because they shut me down. Can I yeah. take a claim from that? Yeah, let's talk about that. So, and, and just to go back a little bit, you know, you talked about, you know, um, you'd have to look at that break-even point, right? And so, to be honest with you, you're right. It's always a math problem, right? I mean, the, the numbers have to work, right? And we always say the client has to win, right? So, to your point, um, there is a break-even. It's different based on each individual situation, but just know that when we approach these types of things, um, we're very transparent and upfront. And if the client isn't going to win, as if a business owner isn't going to win, we're going to be the first ones to raise our hands and say, hey, you know, it's not right. The timing's not right. We need to wait, you know, because for us, it's how we protect our reputation. Right. So so just know that we're very transparent. And, you know, when the timing's right, we're there. But the last thing we want to do is put somebody into something that's not going to make sense for them. Um, and to your point, let's talk about claims. Right. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, I mentioned to you. Um, that uh, if you look at how traditional insurance works, we work very similarly from the from a transactional standpoint, right? So no different than traditional insurance. If you have a claim, you suffer an incident, right? That happened. Um, you go online, there's a claims portal, you submit a claim, it's just like traditional insurance, right? You're gonna fill out a claims form. It's gonna come into our claims department. We use licensed adjudicators in the geographic area where a claim occurs, right? So if you're in California or you're in Texas or Hawaii or New York, we're going we're gonna to contract with a, an adjudication firm, right, that's familiar with property and casualty adjudication. They're going to adjudicate the claim. They're going to make sure that, number one, it's covered. And then, number two, they're going to help you determine the, the amount of the loss, right? We're going to look at, okay, what was the actual damage here and or what were the expenses incurred to recover from this? It's going to go through that process. Um, and if the claim is found valid and they determine the loss amount, then one of those funds together, right? And they're going to pay that claim out to the business, right? So it's no different to traditional insurance. It's very, very familiar. If you've ever had to file an insurance claim with your business, you'll, you'll understand. The, the difference is, right, that we're advocating for you, not against you sometimes, right? A lot of times traditional insurance companies are looking at and saying, hey, we want to not cover that. You don't see that happen here, right? We're looking for ways to make sure that those types of things, as long as they're covered within the language of the policy, that, that you're able to make a claim against those. And I should tell you this, 
you know, we have many 831B clients that will tell you right now that um, their claims that they made in, in 2020, especially, right, obviously, um, specifically in areas of supply chain um, and then business interruption and then political risk. Those are the, the areas that were really hit hard for obvious reasons, right, that are evident to all of us now. But a lot of our clients will tell you that's the only reason why they're still in business today is because they were able to claim against their 831B and, and infuse those pre-tax dollars back into their businesses. Nice. Okay. And then is there like a maximum limit to recover to? Let's say if I put, yeah. So, you know, yeah. So for every dollar you put in in coverage, you get two or for, excuse me, for every dollar you put in in premium, you get two in coverage. Right. So, so let's say, um, and let's say just, let's use an example. Let's say somebody put a hundred thousand dollars into the program and let's say they divided it amongst four policies, right? So, you know, the ones that are most, um, most pertinent to their business, right? So let's say they put 25, 25, 25, and 25, right? That means they'd have $50,000 of coverage in four policies, right? So let's say that they had a political risk incident, right? Maybe there was a tariff passed or, you know, something happened in another country that impacted them politically, right? For, uh, from uh, their ability to do business. They actually have $50,000 worth of coverage, right? Even though they only paid 25 in, yep. they have 50,000 in yes. coverage. And, and yeah, to that point, let me just... Uh, give you one example or one, one important aspect of that is that um, there is an element of risk sharing, right? With, with traditional insurance, whether we know it or not, we're all sharing in each other's risk. What I mean is this, you have auto insurance, I have auto insurance, you know, everybody out there that has it is actually in a big, what we call risk co-op or a risk pool, right? And what the insurance carriers are doing is taking all of our premiums for everyone that has a policy in a given year, and they put those funds in a big, in, in a big pool where they call them risk pools or risk co-ops, right? And let's say I get in an accident because, you know, I'm, I'm not paying attention and I run into a tree and I make a claim. Well, what happens is that everybody else that has a policy with that insurance carrier in that given year, a little bit of their premium is going to be pulled from by the insurance carrier and paid in my claim to me. Right. So that's how insurance works. It's the utilizing the law of large numbers. It's risk distribution as well. Right. They're distributing their risk amongst many, many insurers. With 831B, we do the same thing. So we create and this is how we get that two to one ratio of coverage. Right. So uh, what happens is, is that we pool all of our clients based on policies and based on a pro rata share of the amount of premiums that they put in. And so what happens is that when a claim gets paid, every every claim has a little bit of that claim paid by all of the other uh, 831B plans that we have in our risk co-ops. Right. So that means, Matthew, that, yes, there is the there is the risk that you might have to participate at a very small pro rata share in someone else's claim. Right. But it's a, it's a significant uh, aspect of our program. And I would tell you this, when the IRS looks at 831Bs, they want to make sure that they're risk sharing. Right. Because if you don't have risk sharing, you're not insurance. Right. Or you're not you're not you're not operating in the principles of insurance. So I should tell you that. Um, and, and I guess to quantify that, here's a safe assumption for every hundred thousand dollars in premiums that somebody pays into an 831B, they can anticipate somewhere between one hundred and five hundred dollars per year paid in unaffiliated third party claims. Okay. That's not yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it, it's, it's there, but it's, it's a part of the program that we feel that makes it legitimate and valid. Yeah. And I get that. And, you know, I look at math always first and investments and numbers and see what makes sense. But of course, even with that in mind, yeah, it comes down to that risk factor of what the business needs and what they think the business runs. Cause that's the first primary part of it is the risk of benefits. The secondary yes. part of it is the investment benefits of what you can earn with it as dividends and loan back, uh, carry back. Exactly. So that's the secondary part of it. So if you need insurance, then it's always good to talk to you for 831Bs and talk to whole life insurance, talk to casualty insurance, uh, property insurance, stuff like that. Because one thing I like, 
when I look at whole life insurance and I utilized it really well before, but I understand differences in how investors think about it in a whole life policy. They're like, great. The breaking even point for most people is like 12 to 15 years, like 12 to 15 years. I wait for a break even point, but they're like, <laughs> I get that the break even is there. And if you take the 6% dividend and you carried it out throughout the whole years, the break even point of your uh, premium in is about 15 years, I'm like 15 years, long time. That's a lot of money to break even yeah. to 15. I don't wait 15 years. And then it goes, well, yes, that is the point. But the secondary point is this. You got insured today. Something happened tomorrow. You got paid out 500K. You would never get that anywhere else. And your primary principle of thought was you're buying the insurance first. Right. Like, okay, I understand that. And that's just a, a risk. Well, I'm young. I'm hungry. I want to make money now. For now. And I want to Okay, we look at real estate investing. And, well, Bay Area is hard to buy real estate. So what can I do? You can look out of area. You can look outside, find cheaper properties, look at multi-unit, single families, look at burring properties, investing as a strategy. But get this, if you're gone tomorrow, there's no benefit. Right. But if, you can, if you're young and hungry and you can build it and you're, you, you think you'll be here in 15 years and you actually end up being here in 15 years, financially, I think you made a lot more money on that because look at the upcycle from 2000 to 2022. Crazy, yeah. like 10, 20, 30X, depending on area, you would never make that in insurance. But insurance sure. Secondary provider, and when you're building up your portfolio, let's talk about young entrepreneurs who are building investors who are building up. In the beginning, you got to look at where you're going to go. If you're going to build investments, you got to focus on that. But when you start making money, you got to have backup plans. You need to have some whole life. You need to have some A thirty one Bs. You need some backup plans to to subsidize that because you're diversifying your portfolio now to re reduce risk. Because when you get older, it's all about tax reduction and risk reduction. Yeah. In the beginning, you're young and hungry. So I wish. Like I teach my kids, hey, you're young. I think you're going to be here a long time. I hope you are. I'll, I'll do everything to teach you how to invest now to build up. Play the Monopoly because Monopoly is a great way to learn how to really build up your investment uh, thought process right. and analyze things, deals. So that's a great strategy to really learn and understand how deal flow works. Um, but yes, that's a, a point to the reason I bring that up is, okay, what are you doing? What do you need? Is your business, what kind of business is it? So like, let's talk about some 831B businesses. If I'm an online business, let's call it, I'm a YouTuber, I'm a social media influencer, or I'm a, let's say a business owner, a physical store. Can I use A31B? Or I'm a real yeah. Estate yeah. yeah let's, let's talk about that. That's a great question. So to be honest with you, the truth of the matter is that any industry can use A31B, right? Okay. So we, because if you think about it, um, especially after the last couple of years, right? You, you see no business has any shortage of risk, right? Um, that traditional insurance either can't or won't cover, right? Um, whether you're an online retailer, maybe you source products from, you know, halfway across the world and all of a sudden the supply chain gets interrupted, right? Um, and, and it's something that you have no control over. Or if you have a physical store and, and you know, the a local government entity says, hey, you're not essential, you need to shut down, right? Um, or, you know, maybe you can't find uh, labor, right? There's labor shortages all over the place, right? So um, there's, there's just so many different types of risks out there. Um, you've got accounts receivable risks. You've got transactional risk, right? You've got cybersecurity. That's a really big one for us. Um, you can get cybersecurity insurance on the traditional market. But if you were to really dive into a cybersecurity policy, you're going to find that it only covers up to so much. And there are some fairly big holes in traditional cyber policies. And so for us, what we talk about with cyber is, hey, everyone has cyber risk, right? It doesn't matter because unfortunately, we live in a connected world, right? If, if you have a laptop, a computer, it doesn't matter. Um, your employees have laptops and computers, right? As a business owner, you start to think about phishing and hacking and malware and all of these types of things. 
those things can get really expensive in a hurry, right? So those are risks that it doesn't matter if you're a plumber and you know you use software to track your clients to an online store that retails things to a, a social media influencer. If your social media account gets hacked, right, and people post inflammatory tweets or or it, you know unflattering photos, right? Those are all risks. You know, we cover brand protection. That's a big risk, right, for those types of people in the in the social media space. Right. So any industry can take an 831B and apply it. That's the beauty or the power of 831B, right, is we can customize policies and coverages to suit any need in almost any business. So uh, that's what I love about it. Right. It's almost only limited by your imagination on how you can apply an 831B to a business owner and help them win with it. And I think a part of it too, like I'm, I'm, as I get older, I'm starting to learn more about asset protection plans, wealth preservation. And I started learning more about this when you're young, you don't even think about this, like what tax, I don't, I don't think about tax, but when you're older and you start becoming an investor, you're like, okay, tax, wealth prevention, um, wealth prevention, and then um, generational wealth, passive incomes, and like, how do you use it? And then people start thinking about this. If I'm an independent solo entrepreneur, not a corporation, you know, I'm paying these bills for A31B, for whole life insurance, for insurance in general, then, you know, speak to your CPA, your tax advisor first. But when you start talking to them and educating, they're like, oh, you should take a look at corporations, you know, figure out your corporation structure and then, and then see, oh, I can actually write these off now. Like, okay, I can invest into whole life insurance as a business expense. A31B says business expense. And they go, yes, you can do that and so much more, but you really need like tax advisors and uh, CPAs and like really kind of look at these numbers and say, okay, well, if I, my tax income bracket is like high bracket, let's say 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, then you're like, okay, these expenses are not that expensive because I'm actually writing off the in taxes. I'm actually saving that way. And then they look at that and then they analyze numbers again, but there's so many strategies out there. The hard part is finding who do I use why do I do it? And who's the best one for me, my business? And how does that work overall in my growth strategy for generational wealth? And when I hear people doing it, some of my clients, they do this. I'm like, that one's pretty smart. That one, I don't know. That one's kind of like, are they sure? How, what's the experience based on? And how are they looking at it? Is it more for them or is it more for you? You know, like some financial advisors, I think it's more for them, to be honest. Some right. of them are actually good for you. So it's hard to find that team. But as you get older, like you want a full asset protection team like a full family office so those guys those big entrepreneurs is all about family office because they have the whole setup of everyone in the team working together so that's sure. nice so i like that aspect of it yeah no and, and and i would tell you you know to your point um 831b right the primary benefit up front is the risk mitigation and then people enjoy the tax benefit as well but to your point these things become long-term planning tools right and become real key components of of succession planning, of, of generational wealth. So there are a lot of options that you can take from an 831B and the reserves that you build up in there. And they can become a really important part of a long-term plan. And to your point, you've got to have the right financial advisor. You've got to have the right CPA. You have to have the right team that can give you that unbiased advice to help you make the best decision. And that's that's key for us, right? I mean, you know, I'll tell you this. One of the most common, common sentiments that we have from our clients is, why didn't I hear about this 10 years ago? Or, hey, where were you 15 years ago, right? Because a lot of our clients, to your point, they get past, you know, you've kind of talked about it. You're young, you're hustling, you're growing your business, you're an entrepreneur, maybe you're investing in real estate, you're buying businesses, you have an online presence, those types of things. What happens is, is uh, you, you know, you're not thinking about, to your point, those long-term planning strategies. And then you get to the point where you're like, wow, 
you know, I reached that threshold of pain. I'm through my spending phase. Okay, now what, right? How do I protect what I have? How do I ensure that that this can survive beyond me? You know, what am I going to do with my business? Am I going to, are my kids going to take it over? Am I going to sell it to somebody? Do I have a business partner? Do I have key employees I want to sell it to? An 831B could help kind of facilitate all of those types of things. And to your point, it's not for everyone. It's got to be, it's got to be something that makes sense and timing is big for us. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. And I think I, I learned that over time too, because you know, when you, when you're young, who's unless, unless your parents or a relative who knows you and who already has been there, like the people who are already really wealthy and they had generational wealth built into their family. Right. So as yeah. a first timer, you know, you're building your own wealth and you really have to go out there and educate yourself and learn about all these things until you, until the pain comes in is when you start yeah. learning about it. Okay. I just paid a hundred thousand dollars in taxes. That's painful. I'm going to fix that next year. Okay. What do yeah. I do? Then suddenly these CPAs show up, these tax advisors show up, these A31Bs, insurance companies like, hey, here's ways you can utilize that. And here's the strategy. Do you want to, are you interested in learning more about it? Like, okay, that makes sense now because I'm investing into my my growth. I'm going to pay the bill. But at the same time, that paying you guys and paying everyone else is actually a savings in taxation that actually creates growth and and risk uh, mitigation. That makes sense as you start understanding the complexity of it. And then, okay, how do I wrap that all together to work together? For sure. And then sometimes I say, sometimes your team is not the right fit. You actually have to outgrow some of them because some of them are in certain spaces where they want to be like, hey, a you know accountant might not be a CPA. Of course, a CPA might be a, a general CPA versus a real estate investor CPA versus uh, someone else who does different types of policies. So you outgrow it and you learn to find the right fit for you in your space and time. So you can continue to involve. And the more questions you ask, the more you learn about it, the more you can see who's actually helping you and trying to guide you along the way and hopefully not taking advantage of it. Um, There's some people out there, but, you know, ask all, build a team. So that way the team says, yeah, that makes sense. Or that's BS. You know, forget that. Right. You know? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with that sentiment. I mean, that's, that's why, you know, we, that's why we do what we do to be honest with you. Right. We, we want to be considered, you know, an option, right. We're just, we're just one more option. If it's a fit, great. You know, and if, if your advisors and your team of advisors say, hey, this is something that you might want to look at, then, you know, we're there. But to your point, you've got to surround yourself with good people, right? And, and people that, that are intelligent and can look at different things and have your best interest at heart. Because if you don't, yeah, you're going to get bad advice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why, you know, to be honest with you, every year we'll, we'll sit down with a handful of people who are interested in 831B. And after we look at numbers, we look at their situation, we say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, it's, it, it might not make sense, right? I mean, so every year we talk to a handful of people that say, hey, I really want to do this. But it's like, maybe the advice you got that steered you down this path is maybe not exactly accurate, right? And so that's the, the big thing for us, right, is is that you've got to have good advice. And, and we always say you've got to win on all levels, whether it's and it doesn't it doesn't mean just 831Bs, right? To your point, it, it's got to be life insurance. It's got to be estate planning. It's got to be investing, real estate, all of those types of things. If you're not winning or you you don't like the path you're on, then you know you've got to look at who you're surrounding yourself with and, and the advice that you're getting. And so I agree with you 100. percent Yes, I appreciate that. Good to know. And this is, comes from yeah. experience of doing a lot of different things throughout my lifetime to understand all these different things as I continue to learn it. And I'm always researching more about how do you self improve um, everything you're doing for your family. So how does that work with? Let's talk about how does that work with real estate investors who are actually like say fix and fix and flippers or else real estate investors who are buying multiple properties can they get a thirty one bs for their corporation? Yeah, they can, and that's that's a great question. So so you know I'll talk specifically about a couple of clients that I know that are in the real estate space, right? That mm-hmm. are existing clients of ours because I, I always love to share real stories. I think it, it makes it more relatable, 
right? So, so I've got a client um, who his main business is uh, is in construction, right? So they do res- residential construction, but on the side he fixes and flips, right? So he does a lot of real estate transactions. The way he utilizes his 831B is he insures his construction company for the risks that he can't get coverage for on the open market, right? But as he has good underwriting years, each year those funds become surplus, right? At that point, those funds are available to loan against, right? So he loans himself money every year to go out and buy and fix and flip homes, right? So, and the beautiful thing is you can borrow from your own 831B. We use the AFR rate, which is the lowest rate you could charge and have something be considered a performing note. And you're paying your own insurance or your own 831B back, right? So you're not going to the bank to get a loan, to buy a property. You're you're borrowing the money from yourself. And this is what big business does, right? I mean, these are the types of things that allow you in a way to say, okay, you know, maybe I have a million dollars in there. Okay, I want to buy a property. And maybe it's in, you know, Memphis, Tennessee or somewhere like that and say, hey, I want to buy a couple of properties. I'm going to loan myself a half a million dollars. I'm going to do a 10 or 15 year note, whatever the case may be. That's where we come in right as the admin. We partner with you to make sure we do the promissory note, all of those things. You take those funds and you go buy those properties and then you're paying your own 831B back. So to be honest with you, that's something that we see as a very popular tool in the real estate space, especially for fixers and flippers. Um, we see people that are in the mortgage industry and um, the, the real estate industry, right, that, that do the same thing, right? Um, they Whether they're agents or brokers, right, um, they use this as well. And then if you're just an investor, um, you know, you start to look at, okay, when am I going to get to that point where my income hit income hits that threshold of pain, right? Um, you know, am I going to say, okay, I'm going to start to self-insure for some of these things, you know, maybe I'm a renter, right? Maybe I hold properties, right? And I'm renting to people. Well, what if you can't pay rent? Right. Let's let's talk about that. Right. Like, let's say maybe I own a, a duplex or a fourplex and all of a sudden maybe somebody can't pay rent. Well, can I still make my note? Right. Can I still make that payment on that on that property? Um, and even if even if I own it outright, you know, that's income I'm losing. Well, you can set aside money for a tenant's inability to pay rent into an 831B every year. Right. So that if all of a sudden they can't pay rent due to, you know, maybe their their job got shut down because it was deemed non-essential. OK, you can pull funds out of your 831B to satisfy that rent, to keep you whole, right? So there are just a myriad of ways that you could use 831B, especially in the real estate space. And I can even add, you could use that on the commercial side as well, right? So we talked to a lot of people specifically in the Bay Area in 2020 that were very nervous about their tenants not being able to make uh, their, their rent payments on say strip malls or on commercial spaces, warehouses, et cetera. So we have a program, we have an offering that allows them to set aside funds that in case, you know, let's say that the plumbing company that rents a, a warehouse where you can't make their payment because there's no work, well, all of a sudden you can pull funds out of your 831B to keep yourself whole, right? So once again, there are just all kinds of different examples that you can see mm-hmm. that you can use an 831B for. Nice. And that makes sense. And that's nice to have as another backup plan too. And the fact that, you know, we talked about before is like different ways to utilize it. Yeah. But even contractors and flippers can utilize it. And that's a good a resource too as a backup. Yeah. Okay. So um, another part of it too is that how, like, for example, you know, when you think about insurance in general, insurance, I file a claim, oh man, my premiums can go up. <laughs> Number one thing people in their mind, like, oh, my premium goes up, so I don't want to file a claim, even if it's right. something small and I can just live without it, but necessarily they might need it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a good question, right? Because we always look at your gross revenues, right? So just because you file claims, we don't look at claims as a bad thing. So so that's the unique part of this, right? Is that a traditional insurance carrier is going to look at a claim as a bad thing, right? I mean, they're going to look at that and say, okay, what are we legally obligated to cover, right? Um, that's why they have armies of attorneys and their policies are pages and pages long, right? Um, with this, with an 831B, because it's yours, 
right? Um, we encourage, if you think you've had a claim, file the claim, right? It's not going to increase your premiums, right? If the claim is legitimate, then it's legitimate. You need to make it. That's why you set that money aside, right? And, the, and in the eyes of the IRS, right, when they look at these types of vehicles, right? Because as you know, anytime there's a tax incentive attached to anything, right? Whether it's opportunity zones, conservation easements, 831B, 401k, the IRS wants to make sure it's done right. So one of the litmus tests that they're, they're always going to apply to an 831B or any space is, okay, if you set this money aside for this risk and you, and you didn't use it, well, there's a problem. If you had this incident happen and you filed a claim and you used it, well, that's exactly why you set it aside. And that's why that piece of the tax code exists. So premiums don't increase. Um, now, if you had a really good year, right, let's say, you know, normally you do 5 million a year in revenue, but all of a sudden you did 10. Well, then we look at that 10% of gross revenue. Your premiums could increase if you want them to. You know, conversely, let's say you had a bad year, right? Maybe, maybe you had a key contract leave, or maybe you, you know, the, the market just took a, uh, took a step back, right? And all of a sudden, instead of doing five million, you did two million. Well, we're going to look at ten percent of the two million because remember, once again, our policies and the policies of an eight thirty one B are truly designed to protect the cash flow of the business, right? So that's why we always look at the gross revenue as a really important indicator when we start the conversation. Nice. And in the last two years during COVID, did you, a lot of people actually started utilizing their 831Bs and actually pulling out money? Yeah. Yeah. So so like any insurance, right? If you were to look at the insurance industry as a whole since 2020, claims went up, right? So we saw claims increase just like anybody else, right? Um, people were more dependent on that money. You know, and I, I love to tell the story. I have, a, I have a client who when she set up her 831B a couple of years ago, and it was probably probably 2018, right? So she set it up a few years before 2020. And she said, hey, I, I, I love the, the the tax benefit here. The insurance is important to me, but I don't think I'll ever have to use it, right? She was in a business that I probably would have told you prior to 2020 was, you know, insulated from any type of incident. Well, lo and behold, um, the city that she's in on the East Coast deemed her business non-essential in 2020, right? And she tried to file a business interruption claim with her traditional insurance carrier. And um, they asked her the questions about fires, floods, earthquakes. She said, no, I got shut down because of COVID, right? It was probably April, right, of 2020. And... Um, she said, I got shut down. My business is gone. My cash flow is dried up. And her insurance carrier said, well, you can't even file a claim. You know, you don't have you don't have that triggering event. Nothing physical happened to your place of business. She called in a panic and said, hey, tell me about my my contingent business interruption uh, policy that I have with my 831B. Can I file a claim? The answer was yes. Right. We were able to infuse roughly two hundred thousand dollars of pre-tax cash back into her business within just a matter of weeks. And this is way before the PPP program. Right. You know, and I always like to talk, touch on that a little bit. The PPP program saved a lot of businesses, but it also to me is somewhat of a of a warning bell, if you will, that says, hey, if something happened again, are we going to rely on, a, on the government to bail us out again? You know, or another PPP or, hey, can I set up an 831B and create my own rainy day fund that if I know something happens, and the government doesn't necessarily step in. Maybe they don't step into my industry to help me out. Well, I already have my funds set off on the side to address those risks. But you're right. 831Bs, um, they become more and more of a lifeline in these turbulent times. Um, you know, we've seen clients have their best years ever, and we've seen clients have their worst years ever over the last two years. But yeah. the ones that have 831Bs, by and large, I can tell you, Matthew, are, are surviving and thriving at a higher rate um, than those that don't have something like this in place in the back room. Nice. Good to know. So another thing too, you mentioned uh, if I were to take the money out of 831B for some crisis, uh, it's actually, you said pre-tax dollars because is it because are they taking it out back as a, um, a form of payment or a form of a loan? 
So it'd be a claim, right? So think about a claim and it depends on insurance, right? And this is where, where it comes into, you consult with your CPA, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a claim, right? So we always talk about our claims taxable, right? Well, it depends, right? Because you're not supposed to profit from an insurance claim, right? You can be made whole, but you're not supposed to, to, to have more over and above, right? Yeah. So let's say that, that it was to replace the income. Well, if it's to replace income, income's taxable, right? So that's yeah. where we say, talk to your CPA, but let's say that it's to recover from damage, right? Or a loss, right? So let's say that, you know, you, you had an office and it got hacked, right? You got one of your employees got hacked and you had to replace all of your computers, right? And there was an expense there and it cost you $50,000 and you used your 831B, right? Well, those funds come back into your business to cover an expense, right? Well, that, you know, if you're, if you're spending money on an expense, usually that's not taxable, right? And that's why we always say, talk to your CPA, you know, we're, we're not CPAs, full disclosure, right? We're not tax consultants. That's where we, we always want to partner with your financial advisor and your CPA to be on the same page. But that, you know, that's why I say it depends on, on how that money comes back into the business, right? Loans do not create a taxable event, right? So let's say you take a loan. Um, that's not a taxable event. But let's say that, you know, maybe you've had a lot of really good underwriting years and you're four or five years in. And, and let's say it's a year like I want to take a dividend, right? Well, obviously a dividend's taxable at the individual rate at the long-term capital gains or the qualified dividend tax rate. So there, there would be a tax uh, created there as well. So, you know, just some of those things, you know, there's a lot of really efficient ways to use an 831B and the funds inside it. But there are some t potential tax consequences, and, and we want to make sure everyone goes in eyes wide open when they when they start to access those funds. Yeah, really good to know. And yeah, it's always good when you understand it in different points of when. And I think the best thing is always ask first before you take anything yep. so you understand. That's the number one rule. <laughs> yeah, ask first. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So expenses first. After that, I probably do a loan first, second, and then I do the dividend third if I really needed it. But I would probably take a right. loan against it because, like you said, you take you're paying the loan percentage back back to yourself anyways. So that's just yes. carrying over. So it makes Absolutely. sense. Yeah. So yep. it's kind of good understanding this over time. Like, why did I know all this stuff when I was 21? I started knowing all this stuff. Like, I don't think most 21 year olds before want to know about this stuff. No, you're right. I mean, that's why I say everybody always says, how, where were you 15 years ago? How come I didn't know? Right. And, and I'll tell you this. It is interesting. In the last few years, we've seen a lot of really savvy and, and, and sophisticated individuals, business owners that are younger and younger that are looking at these as alternative risk financing tools, right? Because they see the benefits in them. And I always tell them like, you know, hey, you know, you're light years ahead of, of, of a lot of other people that have used these because you've got time on your side, right? You've talked about time, right? So all of a sudden, you know, you're 25, you're 26, you're 30, you're setting something up like this. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine where you'll be with this thing in 15 or 20 years versus the business owner who say maybe is 55 or 60 and they're just hearing about this for the first time. They tell me all the time, oh, man, I could have used this thing, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But they're still happy that they're setting it up because they have life experience that, you know, to your point, we, we've had those experiences in life. And a lot of business owners have seen, hey, I barely survived maybe 2008 or, man, I barely made it through COVID. Now I know that these risks are all too real and I better set some money aside for that. And in, in comparison, and compared to other general insurances, just because I'm familiar with it, is there a difference in age when you do uh, set up an 831B? Like if I'm no, yeah, no, no, we, we, because the insured is the business, right? Yes, so think exactly. about it that way. How about age of the business? Uh, well, what we like to see is we like to see a business has been in business for at least a year. How's that, right? Okay. Now, like anything, right? The, the longer uh, business has been in business and we see annual revenues, it becomes more predictable, mm -hmm. right? And so we can look at risks and we can look at cash flows and premiums. But as long as they've been in business for at least a year, we can work with them. And the good thing too, you mentioned too before, is that if the longer you're in business, the likelihood of it dropping down from, you know, between three to 10%, it can keep decreasing as you keep uh, doing the longevity of the business. 
So that's Absolutely. nice. Yeah, because yeah. I know in whole life insurance, it, it, it depends on age. So for example, if you start when you're two years old, not one because one in zero right. has risk, but when you start after one, it, it got so cheap and you, might, you should have done it then versus when you're 20, 30, 40 and you have other things like smoking alcohol. Uh-huh. <laughs> like yeah. oh, okay good to know so when you have a baby think about it if it makes sense for your family then right consider. Like, okay if you're 40 50 you're like oh and you have bad health you're screwed you can't get it <laughs> you know? exactly so good to know that part of it too okay um let me ask you this too um when they do a third one b it's just one plan like there's not and the options inside you can talk to you about different options inside the a third one b overall plan and you mentioned um different there's four you mentioned four different types already is there many more types that yeah that's have? a great question so let's talk about it right so yeah. so we offer somewhere between 15 and 16 different policies within an a 31 b and then within each policy there are endorsements right so we can isolate a really specific risk so to your point, our average client probably has somewhere between four and six or seven policies, right? So we give them a nice layer of policies that gives them that that next level of risk mitigation that, like I said, it's a complement. Or if you look at, if you ever talk to traditional property and casualty insurance brokers who are familiar with 831Bs, they, they compare it to, they call it a wrap, right? Basically, they're going to take an 831B and wrap it around all of their traditional policies, and it's going to fill in all of those gaps, right? And so that's why we like to not just put the funds into, say, one policy, because, you know, we want to give you more of a broad approach to that risk mitigation. And the nice thing is we can truly customize these things, right? All of our clients don't have the same policies, right? Because every business has a different risk profile. Now, with that being said, right, let's say clients in real estate, they have similar policies, Right. But they might have a, a unique geographic risk. Right. Um, or, you know, in construction, you might have a different risk based on the type of construction you do. So we can really customize an 831B. And once again, that's where you put that power back in the business owner's hands and say, hey, what are you worried about? What keeps you up at night? OK, well, let's address that with your 831B. OK, that makes sense, too. Like, yeah, in, in home insurance, like what we get uh, homeowners get after the first insurance is umbrella policy to cover everything else they don't know. But now you have that right. and you have 831Bs to cover everything else you don't know about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. OK, good to know. Yeah, I don't think not not even not a lot of people also use umbrella policies, too, because they didn't realize, hey, the umbrella policy is actually cheaper. You can reduce your risk amounts and you can um, diversify a little bit with extra protection layer on top of it first. And then right. like, that's all with growth in mind and like learning from uh you know, insurance agents about it, the different policies, but like, you know, who wants to talk about death, taxes, and insurance in, in life? Right. Let's talk about everything else except for those three categories. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> so that's the fine part of it. Okay. Yeah. And then what would you say is when do you start looking at 831Bs? What's the like, kind of like minimum criteria to start look, to really looking at it? Yeah. So it, it depends, right? Everybody's different because businesses have different margins, right? But I would tell you this, if, if, if you have a business or your business owner that say you're grossing north of a million dollars, right? Okay. So, you know, a million dollars, you know, we've got clients that do two to 300 million, right? So that's a huge delta, I realize. But, you know, anything over a million, I think you owe it to, to yourself to at least look at it or become educated on it, right? It might be some of the, one of those things where you say, hey, it doesn't make sense right now, but now I know and two, three years down the road when, you know, maybe I'm grossing two million or a million and a half or five million or 10, whatever the case may be, then I'm ready to pull the trigger and, and jump into an 831B. But yeah, if, if you're grossing north of a million dollars, and I should say this, you have to have healthy margins, right? I mean, you have to have the money to set aside. A lot of business owners look at an 831B as a forced savings plan in a way, right? Because you're, you're setting the money into this thing. Sure, you own it, but you know, there are rules on how you can touch the funds, right? Um, and so you have to be willing to set that money aside. But uh, any industry, a million dollars plus in revenue, I think you should at least look at an 831B. 
And I think the good thing too is like really trying to, even for me, like I'm a self-learner, I'm always reading everything. The more you can learn about all different industries, what they're doing, how it works, why it works, what makes sense for them. You educate yourself, you educate your friends, family, your other clients probably, and you can have a referral network anyways. Say, hey, this makes sense for you, not for me at this time. I'm 21 years old, for example, and I make this much money, but later in the future, I know about it. It's something I can do. And you're building a network of people who are like-minded, who actually want to invest, create wealth, and create risk management and at the same time grow. And that's putting you in a different space of where you're just becoming a robot and just doing and living life and letting it pass you by without learning about things and to you know sit behind a, a, a pillow and just cover your ears and not hear about it. That's yeah. not good either, right? No, I agree. And, and to that point, right, we have a lot of clients that come to us that heard about 831B from someone that maybe didn't, you know, didn't set up their own 831B, but to your point, right, they surround themselves with people that that um, you know are doers, right? They're out there, they're making things happen, they're hustling, they're they're you know, and so it's one of those things. Hey, to your point, I might be 25 and I'm just getting started in real estate, but I hey, I have a friend who's you know 35 and I know owns a bunch of properties and was complaining about some risks or maybe they were concerned about their insurance and I told them about it, right? I mean that happens time and time again. We get clients every year and like, how did you hear about us? Like, oh okay, yeah, we talked to that person a year or two ago. You know, nothing ever came of it, but obviously it made enough of an impression that they were able to steer them to us. So yeah, it's it's one of those things, word of mouth's big and, and who you surround your, yourself with in, in, especially in the business world, right? When you're trying to continue that upward trajectory, it's it's critical, so. Yeah, I think one thing is, um, you know, I think like Will Smith said, like we all need financial literacy, like in schools. I wish they had this in schools. Like, Absolutely. you know, they, they should talk about financials, ta uh, ta um, tax, health, life, death, everything. But, you know, you learn it after the fact and you learn yes. on your own. There's no like one, one place in the beginning of life where like they're teaching you all these things you need to know to live life to the fullest. It's right. Like, okay, you go figure it out yourself. You deal with it and something happens, then you figure it out. Right. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I echo that sentiment. You know, it's if you know, it's it's what we, we don't know what we don't know until it's almost too late. Right. Unfortunately. But that's why, you know, that's our mission at, at SRA, to be honest with you, is, is small to mid-sized business owners. We've we view them as the heartbeat of the U.S. economy. Right. And to to that end, it, you know, we feel that they should have access to the same tools that the big businesses do. Right. The Walmarts, the Apples, the Googles, the Salesforces, the Nikes. Right. All of those big businesses that have been using these types of risk management tools for decades and decades. Well, when Congress put this into place in 1986, they put 831B in. Well, it was intended for all businesses. Right. And that's why we're out there educating, sharing it. Um, it might be a fit for you, but odds are, you know, somebody that might be interested. Um, and the more people, the more business owners that know, we truly believe that 831B is going to become an ordinary and necessary business. Um, process or participation, just like a 401k, right? Mm -hmm. You know, almost everybody knows what or has a 401k. We think K31B is going to become the same thing within the next probably five to 10 years, to be really honest with you, with the type of growth we're seeing out of necessity more than anything, right? Because of what we've seen the last couple of years, business owners have really had their eyes open to see, holy cow, you know, I have risk that goes beyond what my traditional insurance can cover. And when times are good, it makes sense to set some up on the side for those rainy days. And I actually have a question from uh, one of our listeners, Sergio. He's actually a, a lender in the Bay Area, and he asked, "Can it be used when things slow down seasonally?" Like from you know, it depends. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good question. So, so here's the thing about 831Bs and in insurance in general: the types of things you insure for have to be fortuitous in nature, which means they have to happen by accident, right? So that's that might answer that question, right? If it's an ordinary business cycle. Well, that's not something you can insure for because that's a business risk, right? However, let's say this. Let's say that, that things slowed down because there was 
a wildfire or there was something politically or something happened in the financial space that was unforeseen, right? So those are fortuitous types of things. I always say those are things that happen by accident. Those are insurable. Ordinary business risks like that, like seasonal slowdown, unfortunately, you can't insure for, right? Because that's just the risk we all take as business owners to when we get up every day and go to work. That's why, you know, it makes sense to set aside money for the things that truly are unforeseen. Yeah. And if in this case too, I'm just thinking out loud, like in this yeah. case, if you, if you really needed the money and they had a good savings because they built it up over the years, they could actually take a loan, get, loan out. Absolutely. That's what I was, I was just going to say. So yeah, you're exactly right. That's the beauty of 831B, right? So let's say that you build up some funds in there. Then, you know, that seasonal slowdown hits, you loan yourself those funds, right? And use them through and, and then pay them back when, when busy season picks up. I'll give you an example. A big plumbing contractor that, that's a client. When they have slowdowns, they loan themselves the funds out of their out of their 831B to make their payroll because they don't want to lose those journeyman plumbers because they know if they lose them, odds are they might not get them back. Right. So every every year, every couple of years, they'll loan themselves money to make payroll for a couple months until a big job picks up and then they pay it back. So in a way, you absolutely could use it. Right. You couldn't necessarily use a claim, but you could loan yourself the funds. The goal of an 831B is to keep your cash flow like this. Right. You mean through the ups and downs on good times, set some money aside on bad times, infuse it back or loan it back and, and be able to use it that way. Okay. And another thought come to my head too, where I learned about whole life. Some people don't pay it back. And the reason being is this, it, as they get older, right? They borrow the money against themselves. They had so much substantial money in there. They, they took the loan out. They know if they pay the loan, it goes back to themselves. But if they died, uh, unfortunately, then that would just reduce the calculate the formula. It would just reduce the money back out to that point. Yeah. So, so good question, right? So if you don't pay a loan back, um, you know, at some point we, we reclassified as a dividend, right? We'll give you a chance to, to, to pay it back or repaper the, repaper the note. But the, the key is, right, this goes back to that litmus test of would a traditional insurance company do it, right? So would a traditional insurance company loan funds and not expect the loan back, right? Or repayment, yeah. right? They're going to want the repayment. So at some point we'd reclassify it as a dividend. Now, at, at the same time, let's say someone owns an 831B and they pass away. Well, whoever inherits that estate or, or that asset does get stepped up in basis, Right. So in a way, there, there's a benefit there. We don't you know, to your point, who likes to talk about death and taxes, but but there is a benefit there as well. So so something to understand. It's not something you want to use, but you want to understand how does it work if something happened, you, you know, right. on. But that person who used it was because they're chronically ill and they knew they had a deadline to be gone. So they like, yeah, let's use it now. Let's use everything we need for medically and whatever happens, happens. And that's it. Yeah. You know, but yeah, otherwise, I understand that. Mm -hmm. So good to know. All right. So how do people learn more about you guys? How do they reach out to you, Ed? And how can they, um, you know, what, where can they go to learn about what they yeah, need? For sure. You know, it's, it's really simple. Just go to 831B. So 831B.com, right? And you can email me at ed at 831B.com. Um, we're located in Boise, Idaho. Um, you know, you can go to our website. Our contact phone number is there. Um, I'll give you my direct number in my office. It's 208-424-2249. Um, you can give us a call, you know, shoot me an email, go to our website, learn more. Uh, we can set up a, a customized Zoom, a one-on-one. -on -one. We do that all the time. So if anybody's interested, reach out. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, you know, obviously let us know that you heard about it, heard about us on this podcast. Um, but yeah, we're always available to talk to people and see if an A31B might be a fit. And can you insure anyone anywhere or in the U.S. Good alone? question. So, so no, we can do, we can actually do international as well. So, you know, you don't have to be a U.S. citizen to, to own an A31B. So yeah, it, you can take an 831B, and if you're you know, a citizen in, in another country, we can set an 831B up here for you as well. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Ed, for being on the show. Everyone out there, thank you guys for being on the Truth About Real Estate podcast. And if you like it, make sure to subscribe, and we'll see you guys in the next one. Have a great day.